many dinner table fights have broken out over politics and religion. It's often said that if you want to ruin a good party, just bring up either of those two topics. Today, Pat Zuckerman brings up both. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. This is a program that presents the truth of Jesus Christ and answers the sometimes difficult questions that all of us ask about God. Today, Pat speaks before a live audience at a recent conference in Hawaii on the topic of politics and religion. There are important passages of Scripture that address politics from a Christian standpoint. And we want to remind you that there are a multitude of resources available online at evidenceandanswers.org. There you'll find everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Check it out today. Now, here's Pat Zuckerman on politics and religion. You know, there are certain topics in conversations we're taught to avoid, right? Such as, was the UH football team really overrated this past year? Or, who was the better quarterback, Colt Brennan or Timmy Chang? And you know, another topic we're told to avoid is what? Politics and religion. All right, we're told to avoid that at all costs. However, today, we're going to talk about both politics and religion. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Now, one of the struggles the Christian faces is this. As Christians, we know that we are citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says this, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian, however, is also a citizen of the country and state in which he or she resides, and therein lies the struggle. What is the relationship between one's faith and politics? Some Christians believe that since we are citizens of heaven and this world is getting worse and will continue to get worse until Christ returns, they don't get involved in any civil matters. They don't vote. Uh, they don't pay attention to what's going on in politics. They just stay out of the whole thing. Other Christians believe that the government is the answer. If we can somehow Christianize the government, then we can bring in some kind of utopia. Well, that view forgets to account for the sinfulness of man. So this morning, I hope to present what I believe is a biblically balanced view of the relationship between our Christian faith and politics. Now, in order to understand the issue and understand the relationship here, we've got to understand three things. First, what is our relationship as believers to the government? Second, what is the primary role for which God has ordained government and established governments? And finally, what is the duty of all Christian citizens? So first, let's take a look. What is our relationship to the government? In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, Paul says this, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. Now, the first principle to understand is our relationship to the government, to the state. 
And Paul says here that as Christians, we are called to submit to the government. Okay? Submit means to place oneself willingly and orderly under the authority of. And Christians, we are called to obey the laws of the land and to obey the laws which the government has established because Paul gives the reason here in, verse, in the following verse that the authorities that exist have been established by God. Government is God's way of maintaining order in society. And any individual who rebels thus is rebelling against what God has established and brings judgment upon themselves. And in most cases, those who do right and abide by the laws of the land need not fear the authorities. Those who do good and obey the laws do not need to fear. Having said that, Paul understands this one principle. The believer's ultimate allegiance is to God. We are ultimately citizens of heaven. If the demands and laws of the government violate the higher allegiance or the higher law of God, then the Christian is called to obey God over man. If there are unjust laws or practices that are being pronounced in the government, we exhaust all legal means possible and civil disobedience must not be done in a light and cavalier fashion. There are several examples throughout the Bible of people who face this dilemma. They were model citizens, and yet when it came to a particular law or a particular ruling which the king or the government had proclaimed that violated the law of God, they had to obey the higher law. Even Paul, who wrote this epistle here, died in Rome, was executed for preaching Jesus Christ when it was illegal to do so in the Roman Empire. And we see examples throughout the Old and New Testament. In Exodus chapter 1, the Egyptian midwives were commanded by the Pharaoh when these Hebrew women give birth to a baby boy, drown him in the Nile, and they refused to do so and were in disobedience to the government authorities. In the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel was told, do not pray to the Lord anymore. If you're going to worship, you must worship the king. And he did not do so. He went and prayed in his room. And for that, he was imprisoned in the famous story, Daniel in the lion's den. Early in the book of Daniel, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were told to worship the image which the king had set up and bow down and worship it. And you know that famous story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do so. Acts chapter 4, Peter and the apostles are brought in to the governing authorities because they were preaching Christ. And the leaders of the Jewish community said, do not preach this message anymore. And Peter in his famous statement said, we must obey God rather than men. And in each of these cases, the men and women were commended and blessed by God, even when they disobeyed the government authorities because they were obeying the higher law, the higher law of God. And even in our day, even in our day, we may have to make that decision. And people, and history shows, people are commended when they stand up against the unjust laws of their government. Corrie Ten Boom and others who hid Jews, 
hid them from the Nazi government and saved their lives are commended today for what they did. And there are times when I am in countries that are ruled by totalitarian dictatorships or uh, closed countries where religious freedom is not allowed. There is a state religion that is imposed by force. And Christians and those of other faiths who do not abide by the state religion are tortured, thrown in jail, and persecuted. And often I'm questioned, can you give us information on these Christian churches? Can you give us information on who the leaders are? Can you show us pictures? And I'm asked to turn over any information I have of Christians or people of other faiths to government authorities. And it's times like that I, I choose not to do so because I believe the higher law is to protect life and that it is unjust for government to be persecuting others because of their particular religious faith. So the first principle is this, that as Christians we are called to obey the government, to submit to the government and abide by the laws of the land unless their laws goes against the laws of God. The second principle is that we're to understand the primary role of government. Verse 4, Paul says this, For he, government, is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Now, the primary role of government, as established by God, is this, to promote justice and stand against what is evil. Paul says here that the government leaders are God's servants, placed there to serve the Lord for the benefit of of society and to maintain order in society. Civil leaders are God's servants and their duty is to enforce justice in the land so that we may have a peaceful and orderly society. And Paul says that government is given the authority. He says, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. Government is given the authority to use force, even lethal force if necessary, to promote and execute justice and to stand against evil. And so the primary role of government is promoting and defending justice and standing against what is evil. And without justice, you cannot have freedom. And you cannot have justice unless you have an absolute objective standard of truth by which to go, unless there is a universal moral law code given by a moral lawgiver who is authority over all creation and all civilizations. You cannot have a just society, and therefore you cannot have freedom without justice. The freedom that we have in this great country, if you travel to other countries, each time you come back, you know, you're more grateful for, for the great country that we live in. And the freedom that we have is based on a justice system that was built upon the moral laws of God. It is clearly stated in many of our documents. For example, the Declaration of Independence. Our founding fathers wrote this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with, a, with certain inalienable rights, 
that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So our freedom is built upon the foundation of a creator, creation, and a God-given moral law. And upon those principles, our Declaration of Independence was written and our Constitution was based. And for that reason, we have one of the most just societies in the world where we can enjoy a tremendous amount of freedom to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And a democracy or a republic can only flourish where there is justice, where the leaders are good and the people are of great moral character who will elect quality men and women to rule the land. Our founding fathers understood this, that a democracy only works when the people are morally good and abide by the moral laws given by God. George Washington, in his farewell speech, said this, and he gave the country a prophetic warning in his farewell address. He said, and let us caution, indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in the exclusion of religious principle. He said you can't have a moral foundation without a foundation built on God and his absolute moral law. He also stated, of all dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. I was listening to Margaret Thatcher speak several years ago, and she said, a democracy can only function when the people in that society are morally good. And that moral foundation gives them a clear guideline of how to vote for morally good people, men and women of character, who can lead that country and be a good and just nation. That is the only way that free democracies can work. And when we depart from such principles, then as historians have studied in many civilizations, the nation morally crumbles from within, and then that nation falls. It's been documented in many books. One of, one of the best out there is by, uh, I believe, Jim Nelson Black called When Nations Die. And he's traced the fall of civilizations throughout history, and they all follow the same pattern. As they depart from the moral laws of God, they crumble morally from within, and the nation collapses. And America was made great because of the great laws we have upon which our Constitution and our laws are built. But should we begin to depart from the moral laws of God, then there is the danger of moral collapse internally and the fall of the United States as all other empires have fallen in the past. So it is the duty of people throughout the United States to vote and select men and women of character, of integrity, who can rule and, and create laws that are just, that are good, that are right. 
that our freedom and greatness may be, may be preserved. The role of government is to promote justice and to stand against evil. And third, Paul tells us the duty of every citizen, especially the Christian citizen. Paul commands us to fulfill the duties that God has called us to and that we are required to by the state. And he says here in verse 6, This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The word taxes. I can see many of you are, got that groan on your face. And that habuteru look at, you know, when I say the word taxes. And you know, as Paul says it three times in that one sentence, right? <laughs> Well, Paul says our duty includes paying taxes. Part of our obedience, our submission to the governing authorities is to pay our taxes. Why? To support government officials who spend their full time governing the land. The Christian also must give what is due. He says respect and honor to those who are in leadership. Those are just some examples Paul presents for a Christian to fulfill their duty to the state in which they live. Now, how does this apply to us today in a democracy in the United States? Well, let me give you five practical ways in which we can apply Paul's message here in a democracy. Remember when Paul was living, he was living under the rule of the Emperor Nero of Rome. But his principles transfer to us here in a democracy. Number one, Paul commands us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, to pray for our government leaders. To pray that they would be just, that they would be men of integrity, so that we may live lives of peace. He says here, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. So the first thing we're commanded to do is to pray for our government leaders. Second, in a democracy, we are required to vote and to vote responsibly. So it is the duty of every citizen, especially the Christian citizen, to study and develop a biblical values and to vote for officials who share those values. Now, you're not going to find one that agrees with you on every point. You may, you may not, but vote for the one that shares a lot of your values. For example, some of the values you may be looking for. The protection of life is sacred. You know, look for the candidates and vote on laws that honor life as sacred. Look for candidates that stand against abortion, euthanasia, and embryonic stem cell research and study those issues and understand when we're crossing the line okay, of taking a life. The preservation of the biblical definition of family is another one you ought to be looking for. Vote for candidates that seek to protect the biblical definition of family that is one man and one woman. Stand against laws okay, that are promoting same-sex marriage. 
uh, promotion of biblical values in education. For example, the abstinence program. That's a great program. It's the only one that works. All the statistics show you. Safe sex fails in every way. Abstinence and character education is the only one that's working throughout this country and other countries of the world. Vote for candidates that will support that. Number three, study the candidates and the issues and be informed so that you can vote and converse with others in an informed and intelligent manner. You know, I was talking to my friend and we were talking about the elections coming up in his particular area. And I said, who are you going to vote for? And he said, oh, easy. I always vote for the Japanese guy. And I said, oh, what if you get two? And he said, oh, then I vote for the better looking one. Huh? I was talking to my uh, other friend the other day about the presidential race. And he said, oh, I'm not going to vote for Obama. I said, why not? You know, what, too liberal? You know, what's the, what's the deal? He said, oh, no, because the guy went to Punahou. Uh, well, you know, I, I hope there's a little more substance behind the way we make decisions uh, at the voting booth. Hey, but as Christians, we are called to be informed, to study the candidates, to study the issues, and to vote responsibly. Fourth, we are called to raise criticisms against unjust laws and unjust practices going on in our government. One of the great things about our government that we haven't been perfect, of course, but we're always moving towards a more just system. You know, for example, we did, uh, the, many people will criticize that you know, for many years, for decades, America practiced slavery. Yet it was the very laws of God that built the foundation for us to battle against that unjust practice. And we as a nation corrected that injustice and at the loss of many great lives. And we became a more just society, abolishing the slave trade here in America. Raise criticisms against unjust laws. And finally, always be working towards a more just society. That is the Christian responsibility. That is our duty here in a democracy. And as we close, I want to tell you a brief story of a man, of a scholar, who came from Europe almost a century ago, Alexis Toynbee, you may know that name. He wrote a very famous historical work. He came from Europe, and he was impressed with the rise of America. How did America become such a great country so quickly? And he came and studied the United States, and he studied the governmental systems of America, and he wrote in his work, but that is not where I found the greatness of America. Then he traveled and looked at all our great resources and our factories and our natural resources, and he said, there I did not find the greatness of America. But then he writes in his work, but I found the greatness of America when I walked into her churches. And coming from the pulpit, he said, were flames of truth. And it is there, he says, that I found the greatness of America. And he says, America is great because America is good. And I wonder if he traveled here to the United States today, if he would be able to say the same thing, not only of the goodness of America, but of our churches. Are the flames of truth continuing to be proclaimed as the church serves 
as the conscience and the moral guide to society. As Christians, we are citizens of heaven and we wait the great day of the coming of the kingdom of God. But until then, we are called to be salt and light in this world as citizens of this state of Hawaii and citizens of the great country of the United States. So let us fulfill our call as citizens of heaven as well as citizens here of this state. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the words of Paul. Help us to apply them, especially as we have an important election coming up. Help us to be wise in the decisions that we make and the issues upon which we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers today with Pat Sukarin. And our prayer is that we answer the hard questions that all of us ask and that we equip you to know what you believe and why you believe it. And if you're a seeker or a skeptic, we hope we've challenged you with the various evidences which support the claims of Christ. There are a multitude of resources available on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Interviews with leading scholars, past shows that you can download, and we deal with topics from atheism to Zen Buddhism to Islam to the occult, the cults, agnosticism, and contemporary issues which face us today. And by the way, when you purchase our resources, you keep Pat Zuckerman speaking out all over the world. Help support a quality apologetics program for radio and podcast and Pat's speaking engagements on college campuses and churches all over the world. Evidenceandanswers.org. Go there today. Evidenceandanswers.org. For Pat Zuckerin, I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers.